The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. This morning I want to go back to our series about Joseph. And Lord willing, we will wrap it up this morning. This will be our last message on that particular thought of how big is your God. Remember, that's the question we've been asking, and we've asked a lot of questions about it. We've, we've, we've dealt with that question from the standpoint of thinking about who we are and who he is. We've dealt with that question in regard to things like handling the truth about ourselves and about our circumstances. We've, we've asked the question, is God big enough to take care of us like he did Joseph from the pit to the prison, to the palace, to the reconciliation between his brothers? Is he, is he big enough for us to trust in every day walking in our lives? And the answer, of course, has been absolutely. He is. He's big enough. He was big enough for Joseph. And the same God that was Joseph's God is our God today. Today, I want to take us... Uh, we'll sort of begin in the 46th chapter, or we'll be looking at the 46th through the 50th chapter. It's a lot of territory to cover. I, I know you're thinking, how are we going to get there? Well, we're not going to read it all. We're not going to start. We don't have time to go through each and every uh, verse. But, but we're going to point out some things over the course of these chapters that will help us answer one more question about God. Is he big enough to trust with our future? Is he big enough to trust with our future? I know in Joseph's life, he got to a certain point and he could look back and he could say, well, well, my goodness, the Lord was with me through all of that. Now, I don't think Joseph was surprised. I think Joseph knew all along that, jo that God was with him. Jacob, on the other hand, is a little different character, a little different story with him. We're going to look at three different sets of people, really three different uh, categories of people this morning, if the Lord will be our helper. We're going, to look at, we're going to look at Joseph's family, particularly his father and his brothers, and then we're going to look at Joseph himself. And, and, and we're, we're asking the overall question again, how big, Joseph, is your God? How big is your God? Again, remember... We're not talking about making God bigger than he would otherwise be because God's already big. He's as big as he is and he needs no additions. But the question is how big is he in our minds? You'll remember last time we, we talked about the fact that God is big enough that he doesn't have to sully his hands with sin in order to take care of his people. That he's not a God who is predestinating everything that happens, but he's a God who is providentially overruling the sinful actions of men. God doesn't play around with sin, beloved. God doesn't mess around with it. God is, and we said last time, if you remember, God's a better domino player than you are. Remember that? <laughs> Go back and get the message if you want to know what that means. But I'll, I'll give you the short version. Uh, uh, Brother Mike Ivey's uncle, as we said, I told you about that story where Brother Mike Ivey's uncle uh, that he told, he shared with me, he was the best domino player he'd ever, ever been around. You couldn't beat him. You couldn't win. It didn't matter. If you, the best you could ever hope for is a tie. But because by the time you'd had one or two rounds, 
uh, of dominoes, if he was in the game, he'd figured out every person's hand. He knew what they had and what was out there, and he would beat you every time. He didn't predestinate the outcome. He just was a better domino player than, than anybody else. Well, God, in a greater sense than that, is a better domino player than anybody. <laughs> he, he, can, he doesn't have to make things occur when he knows our nature and he knows how we will act and how we will react based upon our human nature. Nobody knows your, the depths of your depravity like God does. So he's not having to go in there and cause sin, but he can overrule it. Oh, my. And he can providentially care for his people. This morning, I want to look at this issue of whether or not we can trust God with the future, with our future. The first thing we see in these chapters is the, the fears of Joseph's family, the fears of Joseph's family. You'll notice, if you'll look with me to Genesis chapter 47, in the, in the chapter previous and the end of chapter 45, we've learned uh, that Jacob is on his way to Egypt. And in chapter 45, actually, in verse 26, they told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And notice what happened. Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. <laughs> Jacob was not able to believe. He couldn't believe God could get Joseph, number one, could preserve Joseph's life, and number two, could elevate Joseph to a position of power like that. Jacob had had a rough life. Look, in a chapter 47, he's finally down in the land of Egypt, and he's going to meet Pharaoh. He's going to be in the presence of the, the ruler of the known world at that time, the greatest kingdom in the world at least. And in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 47, Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And I want you to notice his answer in verse 9. Jacob was a fearful and a fatalistic kind of old man. He had, he, notice, first of all, he says, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are in 130 years. I don't want to get off track here, but, but that's interesting to know because that tells us some things about about timelines in Jacob's life uh, we're gonna if, you, if you'll go back and check the record here and read paying attention to how old Joseph was and how old he is now uh, you're gonna see that Joseph was probably born when Jacob was about 90 years old because uh, he's 130 now and jo Joseph uh, is uh, I mean Joseph is nearly 40 Joseph is about 39 years old so Jacob was around 90 or 91 years old when Joseph was born. He truly was the son of his old age. And Benjamin was born later. If you go back further and trace it back, you're going to find that Jacob was probably 75 or 76, maybe 77 years old when he, when he tricked his father out of the birthright, out of blessing Esau. And, and, he, and he began to then have to make a run for it. And he goes down and, 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 and he ends up marrying and and he ends up uh, having all these children. So he was an old man, older man, when he even started into that, that type of lifestyle. And, and I want you to notice what he says about his life. Remember, Jacob, I mean, yeah, Jacob was, a, uh, was not a nice guy <laughs> initially. He wasn't a nice guy. He was a conniver. He was a, he was a cheat. He was a deceitful kind of man. And Jacob says, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. 
Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. What a, what a miserable assessment of his own life. Few and evil. 130 years old. I wouldn't call that few. <laughs> but I want to tell you, beloved, if your days have been evil, I'll say in one sense it probably feels like forever, but in another sense it's like it's almost gone. And look at what all I've had to go through. Few and evil. What a, it's, it was a true retrospect in many ways. Uprooted from his home and the home of his fathers now, he's, he's had a life of toil and conniving and self-will. And, and even though this was a fulfillment of Abraham's prophecy in Genesis chapter 15 that, that his, his descendants would become slaves in Egypt, he saw it only as evil. He saw it only as evil. I, I, I was doing some research on this and I really can't put it better than, I, than a couple of quotes that I want to read in your hearing about the life of Jacob. I, I tried to look at these and put them in my own words, but I like the way they put them. In Barnes' notes on the Bible, this is what he says about Jacob's life. Much bitterness also had been mingled in his cup from the time that he beguiled his brother of the birthright and the blessing, which would have come to him in a lawful way if he had only waited in patience. God had already told him that he was going to serve, the elder would serve the younger. Obliged to flee for his life from his father's house, serving seven years for a beloved wife and balked in his expected recompense by a deceitful father-in-law. Serving seven long years more for the object of his affections. Having his wages changed ten times during the six years of his further toil for a maintenance. Afflicted by the dishonor of his only daughter. We didn't cover that, but go back and read about what had happened to Dinah. The reckless revenge taken by Simeon and Levi. The death of his beloved wife and childbirth. The disgraceful incest of Reuben. The loss of Joseph himself for 22 years. And now the present famine with all its anxieties. Jacob, it must be confessed, has become acquainted with no small share of the ills of life. What a, what a life he's lived. Eliot's commentary for English readers puts it this way. Evil, certainly, few and evil, he says, are the, are the days of my pilgrimage. Evil, certainly. For from the time when he deceived his father, Jacob's life had been one of great anxiety and care, in addition to many sorrows. If he had gained wealth in Haran, which is where he had moved, it had been by great industry and personal toil, aggravated by Laban's injustice. On his return, there was the double terror of Laban's pursuit from behind and Esau's menacing attitude in front. He had then long lain ill in Sukkoth, waiting till time healed his sprained hip, the hip that God had touched. He, he had that for the rest of his life, had that injury. His entry into the promised land had been made miserable by his daughter's dishonor and the fierce conduct of his sons. And when his home was inside, he had lost his beloved Rachel. And finally, he had been compelled to remain at a distance from his father because Esau was their chief and paramount. His father dies and Esau goes away, but then the 10 years between Isaac's death and the descent into Egypt had been years of mourning for Joseph's loss. All these troubles had fallen upon him and made his days evil. 
Wow. <laughs> Think about his life. Think about, and, and, and let me tell you, that's just us focusing upon the details of his life. Think about Jacob focusing on the details of his life. Now, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to flip to the end just a little bit here. There's going to be another self-assessment by Jacob. We're going to get to that, Lord willing, this morning. And this second self-assessment at the end of his life is going to be a little bit brighter than this one. And I suggest to you the difference is, is that Jacob was a man who was so self-focused. A child of God, no doubt. He was one of God's elect children. But yet he was so self-focused and had such a horizontal gaze upon life seeing the circumstances that he was in and the circumstances around him, that, that he had gotten depressed and he had gotten down and out about what he was facing and how he, had, how he had been treated and how he had suffered throughout his life. I suggest to you this morning that if you get your focus on the same things Jacob had his focus on, you too will be depressed. I can tell you about all the problems of my life. You know, sometimes I guess it's human nature. Sometimes I like to sit down and make a list of all the problems. Don't you? You ever thought about, boy, look at what I've been, especially when I'm in the middle of another problem. If I'm facing something today that's, that I'm struggling with, I'm like, oh, woe is me. This is not the first time I've been here. Oh, my goodness. Last year I had this, and two years ago I had that, and ten years ago this. And I, you know, I'm not looking at it like I should be looking at it, like the Lord got me through it. I'm looking at it from, oh, woe is me. Here we go again. <laughs> you ever been there? I, I, I hope I'm not the only one. <laughs> I hope you're not as bad as me, but that's what Jacob was doing. He said, few and evil have been the years of my pilgrimage. And, and I'm not even, and he said, I'm not even as old as my father's. You know, Abraham lived to be, I think, 175. And, and we're going to see that Jacob ends up living 17 more years. He's 147 when he finally dies. But he said, I'm not even as old as they are. And look what I've had to face. It was such a fearful circumstance. I, you know, Jacob reminds me of the man who ran to Jesus with his daughter dying and said, Lord, I need you to come heal her. And he says, all things are possible if thou just believest. That's what he tells the man. If you'll just believe, all things are possible. And he says to him, he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Help thou mine unbelief. I, I believe. I'm a believer. I trust you. But, but I don't always trust you, Lord. You, you, you've been there. I've been there. That, that's my prayer most of the time is, Lord, I believe in you. I trust you. But you know where I fail in that. And I need you to help my unbelief. That's Jacob. And Jacob, I, I have to say, was more of an unbeliever for much of his life than he was a believer. You know, the world divides people into two categories. You're either a believer, which means you're going to heaven, or you're an unbeliever, which means you're going to hell. That's not what the Bible talks about at all. There's a lot of believers that don't believe all the time. <laughs> you, you say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, ask yourself the question the next time you're feeling stress, the next time you're burnt out or stressed out. Are, are you believing? <laughs> are you really trusting? 
If you're, if you're stressed out and you're care, weighed down by the cares of life, you're not a believer in that moment, okay? I, I tend to be a, every day I'm a believer sometimes and I'm an unbeliever others. That doesn't mean I've jumped in and out of the kingdom of God. It just means that I'm not focusing upon the kingdom like I should. Still going to heaven. I'm, I'm so thankful that our eternal destiny is not dependent upon how faithful we are, but it's dependent upon how faithful he was. Jacob, fearful, fatalistic old man. Then his brothers, uh, Joseph's brothers, they remained afraid even after he had forgiven them. Look over in chapter um, 50 of Genesis. And notice in verse 15, when Joseph spread, this is after Jacob passes away. You know, <laughs> guilt or a guilty conscience is a hard thing to do away with, isn't it? <laughs> You're, have you ever offended somebody and you knew you did it, you knew you were wrong? It's kind of hard to look them in the eye. You're always kind of thinking about, you know, I did, I know, even the ones that say, look, you go to them, you apologize, I'm sorry, I did this thing, I shouldn't have, I apologize. But you're always kind of expecting the other shooter drop, aren't you? They say, oh, I forgive you, I forgive you. I forgive you, but you're still expecting that other shoe to drop one day. One day, they're going to take it out on me. They're going to remember. <coughs> Notice what it says. When Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. <laughs> and they, they couldn't look him in the eye. They sent a messenger, see? They sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, so shall you say unto Joseph, forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin and so forth. Now, uh, let me just stop there and say, Jacob did not say that. And the brothers are scheming again. I, I believe they had a change of heart. I do believe that they had experienced repentance. I'm not sure they had been born again when they did what they did to Joseph. Maybe they had. Reuben acts like he might have been, but it's not about our actions. That's, that's in the hands of the Lord. But I do believe that by this time, they were all born again, children of God who had experienced true repentance, but they're also men and they're worried. And, and here we go, trusting God, but not too far. <laughs> Brothers, how big is your God? Well, he's only big enough to get us through till Jacob dies. And when Jacob dies, our father, we've got to take over and start working it out again. Because I'm sure, I'm sure Joseph says he forgave us, but, but nobody can really forgive something that bad. Nobody can really be that compassionate. I know God's a big God, but he's not big enough for us to trust him that he has, uh, has shown Joseph that he should forgive us. And we certainly can't trust that Joseph's God is big enough. So let's try to work it out and scheme it out. What did Joseph do? And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. It broke his heart. It broke his heart. And, and, and then his brethren came to him. We keep reading here. And his brethren came to him and he said, Behold, we're your servants. And Joseph said, he, he, this is what we read here, and I'm not, I'm not trying to change it, but you know, there was a lot of weeping and a lot of thoughts going through his mind. Don't they understand? Don't they know that the God that I serve is a forgiving, compassionate God, and because he forgave, I must forgive, and can't they trust that I've forgiven them? 
He said, fear not, for am I in the place of God? He didn't say, oh, don't worry, don't worry. I'm a big man. I'm a big guy. I've read a lot of philosophy. I've read a lot of Egyptian writers and they've taught me how to forgive. No, he pointed them to the one place where he could look, where he could get the ability, he could find the compassion, he could obtain the uh, power to be able to forgive them. He said, am I in place of God? In a sense, he's saying it ain't about you. <laughs> it ain't about you in the first place. You know, that's the truth. You come into a problem with somebody, you've run into a, a, a situation where they've offended you, and, they, and you, the only way to reconcile is for you to forgive them. <laughs> you know it's not about them? Because, you know, if it's about them, then you can say things like, well, Brother Chris, you know, you just don't understand how they've been acting. You know, you just don't, you just don't know what kind of people they are and what they did. And, and it ain't about you either, you see. Because if it were about you, then you could say, but Brother Chris, you just don't know how that hurt me. You just don't know how I'm scarred. I've been in therapy all my life because of what my mama did to me or my daddy did to me or my brothers did to me or my friend did to me. I'll never get over this. It's hurting and hurting and hurting. Yes, it is. But it ain't about you. <laughs> Joseph knew that. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about God. It's about the God who is so big that he was able to send his son to suffer the most uh, pain and suffering there could possibly be. He suffered the worst indignities that anyone has ever suffered because he was truly not deserving of it. And yet, because of what he did, because he was big enough to do that, hey, God can forgive you. And he's done that based upon what his son did. And you know what? It ain't about the person that offended you. And it ain't about, the, it ain't about you. It's about God. And he says, am I in the place of God? What right do I have not to forgive you? You know, it's, you know forgiveness is seen as an act of mercy that nobody deserves it. But, but, but truthfully, when it comes to us being forgiven, we don't have a choice. <laughs> He said, am I in the place of God? <clears throat> Who am I to think that the indignities that I suffered, that the pain that I endured is so great that I cannot be forgiving? I'm not in the place of God. Listen, you're not God. He is. He's a big God. Big in love. Big in compassion. Big in forgiveness. Big in mercy. <clears throat> You know, a, a guilty conscience is hard to get over. He says, fear not. But, but it's so hard to do. I think about King David when I think about a guilty conscience. There are earthly, there are earthly consequences to our sins. And, and let, let me encourage you that that's a reason you should not give offenses to other people. Because there will be consequences. That other person ought to forgive you if he's a child of God. But you'll have the hardest time forgiving yourself. I think about David so often. 
I wonder in the twilight years of his life what King David thought when, when they were trying to entertain him by reading to him the exploits of his mighty men of valor. You know, I, I, like, to, I like to go back and as I get older, I know my kids are probably tired of it, I like to tell them the old stories. Let me tell you what happened to me. And let me tell you how we did this. And, you know, and they've heard it over and over. I know they're tired of it. We'll be driving places now, Brother Mackey. We'll be going, you know, especially if it's the same place. Now, hey, guys, right over there is where, yeah, Daddy, you've told us that a thousand times. I mean, every time we come here, you say the same thing. You tell well, you know, I'm getting old. Humor me, all right? I get, to, I get to revel in some of my old victories, you know, or old things that occurred to me. But David, so, so when David was older, I'm sure they'd get the books out. Of, they'd read, you know, they didn't have TV. <laughs> they'd read it to him and say, oh, King, think about, so, you know, um, your uh, uh, your man of war here did this in second in second king uh, second Samuel chapter twenty three. So go read it sometime. It lists the last part of that chapter lists the mighty men of valor in David's employ and that, that, that fought for David. You know you know who's listed there. Uriah the Hittite. Can't you just see David as they're reading to him? Let me tell you about what. You know, this one did and what that one did, what Jonathan did back when y'all... And, and they get down there and they say, and Uriah the Hittite, and he's, can't you just see his face fall and his heart break for what he did to him? Yeah, I remember Uriah. I remember him. I stole his wife and I had him killed. But you know, he's one of the mighty men of David. He never, never violated his oath of loyalty to his king. Don't you know that tore David up? There are consequences to our actions. I hope David was able to recognize that God had forgiven him even of that. And to somehow put that aside, but listen, beloved, there are consequences to our actions. And Joseph's brothers were experiencing that. They knew what they had done and they couldn't get over it. But Joseph forgave them because not because Joseph was a big man, but because Joseph's God was a big God. And now we turn to Joseph himself. We've seen the fears of his family, but I want to talk to you as we wrap this up about the faithfulness of Joseph himself. The faithfulness of Joseph himself. I like to celebrate. Somebody told me that one time. Said, you know, Chris, you like to, Celebrate. You like to something good happen and you want to stop and dance a jig, you know, and just be, oh yeah, this is great. And quit working, you know. We got the fence fixed. Hey, let's go watch some TV, you know. But there's other fences need to be fixed, you see. There's other things that need to be done. You don't just stop because you've achieved some goal. Well, I know there was some celebration when Joseph was reunited with his father. Oh my, <laughs> we're told that in Chapter 46 and verse 29, it says, Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. My goodness, can you imagine that reunion? 22, 
23 years, something like that. He had thought his son was dead. Joseph had thought he would never see his father again, wondered what would, had happened to him. And they fell on each other's neck. Can you imagine the reunion? I can't even talk about it without getting emotional because what a reunion that had to have been. And it reminds me of the reunion that we're going to have one day when we all get to heaven. I love these earthly reunions because they're just a glimpse into what's going to happen one day. You know, I've said this before, and i got to say it again. You know, there are some people that, that I probably will never be able to reconcile with in this, on this earth. And yes, when the resurrection occurs, I look forward to, I hope I'm standing with my wife and my family and I want to see them. But you know who I'm going to look for in that time of resurrection? I'm going to look for that person or those people that, are, that are, I'm crossed up with that I cannot reconcile with here because you talk about a reunion. I'm going to be, I'm going to be weeping on their necks and they're going to be weeping on my neck. Not forgiving each other because we we're all guilty, but, but just loving one another. What a time of reunion that'll be. And that's what he had here, but he didn't stop working. In the first part of chapter 47, you can read it sometime, about the first 12 verses, you're going to find that Joseph got his brethren down to Goshen and he got them to where they, where they needed to be. He continued to serve God where he was. He served his brethren there. Verse 12 says, Joseph nourished his father and his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to their families. He served his brethren. And by doing so, he served his God. The rest of that chapter tells you how he served his nation. He didn't resign as prime minister. He didn't quit doing his job just because he had, had been reconciled with his family and had this great reunion. That's a wonderful thing, but he still had work to do. And you begin reading in verse 13 and you go all the way down through the end of that. And you'll find that down through verse 26 at least that he was continuing to serve in the place where he was. He served his country, his nation. In chapter 48... It says in verse 1, it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. He continued to serve his family. You know what he was doing here? He was making sure that his sons weren't just Egyptians. He was making sure that his sons were Hebrews. They were Hebrew. Listen, they were down there in the nation of Egypt. And Egypt has always been used as a type of the world. So in a sense, they were strangers and pilgrims in a worldly place. And they definitely were not in a Christian or a Jewish. Uh, they were in a pagan nation. They were in a place where the true worship of God was not known. But he was intentional about his children being raised as Hebrews under the true worship of God and not just being assimilated into the Egyptian culture. And in verse 5, it says that Joseph is talking to, uh, Jacob is talking to Joseph. He says, Thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And thy issue which thou begettest after them shall be thine and shall be called after the name of their brethren and their inheritance. Notice what he's saying here. 
He's pronouncing, Jacob is pronouncing blessings upon the children of Joseph. You'll notice in just about every um, uh, lineage that's listed in the future regarding the nation of Israel, Joseph, you would think, well, they're going to start out with Joseph, right? I know he's not the firstborn, but Joseph's the man, right? Surely the Messiah will come through Joseph. That's not what happened, is it? It was Judah. And you don't see Joseph's name mentioned uh, hardly at all throughout the rest of history. Instead, you see Manasseh and Ephraim. Over in First Chronicles chapter 5. It tells us a little bit about why. Because the birthright was given to Joseph's children. Notice it says in verse 1 of 1 Chronicles 5, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, now there's a parenthesis here, parenthetical, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. For Judah prevailed above his brethren, and of him came the chief ruler, but the birthright was Joseph's. You notice what he's saying here? He's saying that Joseph is receiving the birthright. Just like he took the birthright from Esau, these sons of Joseph will be his primary inheritors. He continued to serve. Joseph continued to promote his children and to point them toward the true worship. And then you'll continue to read about Joseph and you'll see that he not only continued to serve God, he continued to trust God. He continued to trust God. And he trusted God with the future of not only himself, but also his family. In chapter 50, the first 14 verses, we won't read them all, but notice that after Jacob died, he went to Canaan. Joseph took him to Canaan, his body to Canaan, to bury him. He, he went down there, he went to Pharaoh and said, let me go down and bury my father because I promised him I would do that. But then, you know, it would have been tempting in some ways, I suppose, for him to stay and say, hey, you know, I, I like, this is our homeland. I think, I'm, I think I'll just not go back. But, but he followed God's will for his life and he went back to Egypt because he knew that God could take care of his future even in Egypt. And he also knew that God's timing is always best. Don't try to get ahead of God. The children of Israel, the nation of Israel is coming back to Canaan one day. But it's not going to be now. It's going to be 430 years from now. A long time. But let's trust God with our future, Joseph says. And then, of course, we've already read in chapter 50 that he forgave his brothers again. <laughs> He, he forgave him again. In verse 20, he said, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And we've already said God didn't predestinate what happened, but God providentially took care of Joseph. And God, by taking care of Joseph, providentially took care of his people. And he said in verse 21, Therefore now fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones and and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Let me just encourage you that if you're going to forgive somebody, you don't need to just forgive them and go away. You need to make sure they know that you really mean it. Joseph not only said, hey, I forgive you, but he spent time with them. 
He, he nourished them. He comforted them. He was with them. I'm so thankful the Lord didn't just forgive us and then go away. I'd, I'd be struggling so hard every day. I still struggle with the fact that God could forgive me for the things that I've done and thought and said. And the way that I am, my very nature afflicts me daily. How could God possibly forgive me if he had just said it in his book and said, that's all that I'm going to do. I've said it. I'm going back to heaven. Now you get by the best you can. Then I would have a terribly difficult time in this world. But he didn't do that. He left his comforter here. He left his Holy Spirit here. And I feel him. I feel him this morning. I feel him in this place. I feel him in my bower of prayer. I feel him in my study of the word. I don't just read these words as, a, as, as just uh, ink on a page. It's, it's something about it that's special. When we focus upon the word of God, we can feel him. Brother Ricky Harcrow said, I wouldn't give you a dime for a religion you can't feel. I'm not talking about emotionalism, but I'm talking about feeling the presence of God. He did not abandon us. He did not leave us here comfortless. He said, if I go away in a physical sense, hey, I'm going to send a comforter with a capital C. You guys are great comforters with a little c. I love being with you, and you are wonderful comforters to me. It's a comfort little c to be with you, but there's a great comforter, capital C, who comforts me when you can't. Praise God for that. He continued to serve him. And then he foresaw the blessing of God on Israel. Joseph, it says in verse 22, dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. Think about Joseph's life. All the trouble. You know, hey, Jacob says, few and evil have been the years of my life. Come on, Jacob. You, you can't hold Joseph a candle. You can't hold Joseph a light. Look at what Joseph has experienced. Look at what he's been through. Look at what sufferings he's endured. And you say your days are few and evil. If anybody had the right to say it, it would be Joseph. But look at what Joseph experiences. He says, hey, I'm trusting God, man. I'm trusting my God who is bigger than any of the little G gods that I see around me, bigger than I am, bigger than you are, bigger than all my troubles and my problems. It says, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. I like that because it tells me something about Joseph. You know, when I was a little kid, if I was around some older person who was grumpy and hard to get along with and, you know, kind of snappy and all that, I didn't want to be around them. I sure didn't want to be sitting on their lap. But, but let me tell you, I had a couple of grandparents that, boy, I wanted to crawl up in their laps every time I was around because their nature was such that they were loving and kind and sweet and it endeared themselves to children. Joseph was a lover of young folks. He was one that they wanted to be around. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And that's the end for me and I don't know what's going to happen to y'all and good luck. No. He said, and God will surely visit you. 
and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He foresaw the blessing of God on Israel. He knew what God was going to do because he knew his God didn't die with him. You see, his God was big enough that he would span the generations. I'm so glad as older I get, I'm so glad my God is bigger than my lifespan. Because if my lifespan is not enough to get done all that I want to get done. As I get older, I see the end of my life coming. It's closer than it's ever been. And even for you young folks, it's closer than it's ever been, okay? But God is a God that, that goes past the date of your death. And he says, God's going to bring you to a rich land, the place he promised you. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry my bones up from hence. He said, don't leave me in Egypt. I know God's going to come get you out of here one day, and I want you to promise me that you'll take me home. We don't have time to go there, but if you'll read in the book of Exodus, you're going to see that one of the things they carried out were the bones of Joseph. The body of Joseph. They took him back home to be buried. You know what Joseph's attitude was? Hey, my God took care of me in the pit. He took care of me from Canaan to the pit, to Potiphar's house, to prison, to the palace, and finally to a place of reconciliation and reunion with my father and my brothers. Why am I going to stop trusting him now? Why would I stop listening to him and following him and resting in the fact that he is big enough to handle every problem that life throws my way? He's been big enough to handle all of the troubles and the tribulations that I've experienced in life so far. Shouldn't I continue to trust him with my future? Absolutely. It's a no-brainer for Joseph. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. And, and by the way, I told you earlier, Jacob had a terrible assessment of his life when he was 130 years old. But he's had a change of heart. And back in chapter 48, he gives us another assessment at the end of his life. He, he's 146 or 147. Now he dies when he's 147. He lives 17 years in the land of Canaan. And since Genesis chapter 47 and verse 9, he's experienced blessings. Reunited with his sons. Moved to a good land. He's pronounced a blessing upon Pharaoh. He has blessed Pharaoh. You would think it would be the other way around. But in the presence of Pharaoh, he pro pronounced a blessing upon him. He extracted a promise from his sons that they would bury him in Canaan near Rachel, his blessed wife. And he's had in chapter 49 the and 48 as well, the opportunity to pronounce blessings upon his sons. Read it sometime. We're not going to go into it. It's not relevant to what we're talking about today, but it's a wonderful passage of how, uh, how he has been able to bless his family. <clears throat> and notice in chapter 48 in verse 15, and he blessed Joseph. This is at the end of his life. He, Jacob blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, now remember what he said before. Few and evil have been the days of my pilgrimage. But notice what he says now. The God, you know, my pilgrimage, my life. Few and evil have been the years of my days. Okay? 
Notice where his focus was. Notice where his focus is now. God is the first thing he says. God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God, the God, which fed me all my life long until this day. The angel with a capital A, speaking of God himself, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And he goes on to pronounce blessings upon them. This is the sons of Joseph. So what, what do we see here? We see a man who in the last 17 years has gotten his focus off of himself and onto his God. And it's the same God that's the God of Joseph. It's the God that was the God of Abraham. It's the God that was the God of Isaac. And it's the God who is our God today. And he says, hey, my assessment of my life now is that God has fed me all my life long. He's taken care of me in a providential way. And not only that, He has redeemed me from all evil. Remember He said, oh man, all the stuff that went on in my life, few and evil has it been. But now His focus is upon God Himself who has redeemed Him from all of that evil. He is the one who has overcome all of that evil in a, in a daily providential way. But not only that, He has redeemed Him in an eternal sense. He got his focus away from himself and his circumstances and what he's done and what men have done to him. And he got his mind and his focus upon God and what God has done for him and the things that God is doing for him and the things that God will do for him in eternity. He got to focusing upon the good news of the grace of God, the good news of the gospel. I say to you this morning that the God of Jacob is the God of the gospel today. The God of Jacob's gospel is the God of our gospel. The God who redeemed Jacob of all evil is the same God who redeemed us today. You see, Jacob's God, who is Joseph's God, who is our God, is a God who is big enough that He doesn't have to be hampered by the evil that we've done, by the wicked deeds that we have committed, by the tribulations that have afflicted us. Because see, before the foundation of the world, this God saw that none of us would be able to be gods unto ourselves. You know, that's what we really are saying when we say it's up to us. To get ourselves to heaven. Won't you make the right choice? Won't you do the right thing? Won't you live in the right way? That's, that's making you the God of your own life. The one who determines where you go. And determines what happens to you in eternity. Beloved, I can't bear that burden. That's a yoke that I can't carry. See, the God that Jacob knew, the God that Joseph knew, was a God who was not so big that from before the foundation of the world, He had chosen His people. Paul wrote about that God in Ephesians chapter 1. According as He had chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. That's a big God, isn't it? I can kind of understand, you know, the, the gods of the pagans, little g gods, they had been born out of the early 
time of this universe. They had either been spouted out of a volcano or somehow some other weird mythical thing had occurred, but there was already something here, you see. But our God was in existence before the foundation of the world, before the universe was created. And before the universe was created, you would think nothing could happen, but it did because our God is a big God. He's bigger than the universe. And He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world and He purposed in His heart and in His mind among the Godhead at that time that His Son Jesus would come one day and that He would pay the sin debt for His people. Oh, how big is your God? Can you trust Him with your future? Let me say to you, beloved, Joseph's God is our God. Jacob's God is our God. He's the God that has ultimately determined the future for every single one of us through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. Don't you think you can trust Him? Don't you think you can trust Him with your day-to-day life? I don't know about you, but I'm going to do my best to try to remember how big my God is in the hopes that in the future, I can rest a little more securely in my own mind and heart in the fact that He holds the future in His very hands. Praise God for His unsearchable riches. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.